All right, well, if you would now, please open up your, your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. We are in uh, the very last section of Matthew chapter 12. It's only been two months. <laughs> We're looking at verses 46 through 50 today on how Jesus focuses on his family. If you need a Bible, we have them in the back. My notes are in the foyer. You're, you're welcome to, um, to grab those. We want to make sure that you've got God's word in your hand and the notes to explain it as well. Well, as you turn to Matthew chapter 12 last Sunday, we studied really a disturbing piece of scripture. And it was disturbing because we discussed man-made morality and man-made religion. And we learned how easy it is to turn our opinion of what is good or bad, right or wrong, into a religious exercise. Uh, and really, it's a religious exercise of futility, of uselessness, of, of hopelessness. We define religion this way. So it's a self-defined morality. In other words, religion is living by our own rules and our own standards. And we hear this all the time. People say, you know, you got to live your own truth. You got to you do you, baby, right? You got to do your own thing. And unfortunately, that's a religion where the unholy trinity is me, myself, and I. It's a religion because basically I'm my own standard. I'm my own standard. My opinion is, is my own standard of righteousness, so I'm going to live this way. And it's the mentality, really, where I, I'm not going to bow my knee to anyone. I've got all the answers here, and all my ways are right. Closely associated with religion, that self-defined morality, is morality itself. Morality is simply, it's, it's a system. It's a system of moral conduct. So think of your virtues. Think of your character traits. Think of your integrity. Think of your ethics. Living by those things, those worldly things, we tend to believe that that stuff's going to get us into heaven. Now, we all know Religious people are, are very structured, very systematic, very dogmatic, very moralistic. And the difference between man-made religion and morality is that they don't have a relationship with Jesus. So we're talking about rules and we're talking about a relationship here. So rules, this moralistic religiosity, all right? So I get to God, I get to heaven on my own terms versus a relationship now look, everyone has a relationship with Jesus, everyone, because every knee is going to bow. The question, though, is whether or not our relationship is a saving relationship. Is it a personal relationship? Do we know the Lord Jesus Christ, and does he know us? Does he know your name? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Matthew 7, Revelation 21. Those are important questions, guys. Because morality can't fix our sin problem. Morality can't pay our sin debt. A couple key points from last week. We talked about how we don't need to manage our sin. We need sin forgiven. We don't need sin managed. We need sin forgiven. We need to ask God to forgive us for thinking that we have a better way. We need to ask God to forgive us for telling him what to do under the guise of religion or morality or even prayer. Because there's only one 
There's only one God-man. He is Savior. He is High Priest. He's the one that forgives. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We also talked about how good people, good people in quotes, good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven sinners do. And we discussed how these good moral people, once again, those are in quotes, right? Because scripture says there is nobody good, not one person. We discussed how good moral people are numb to the reality of sin because living by their own standards, they don't think they need to be forgiven. Exhibit A is within the Gospels. We see this everywhere with the scribes and the Pharisees, don't we? And here's the thing about religious people. They are so offended when you point out that their good is not good enough. So if someone, if someone calls you religious, make sure that you tell them, uh-uh, see, God hates religion. And just kind of step back and see how they respond to that. <laughs> what? God hates religion? No, see, I'm not religious, man. I'm a child of God. I am a child of God, and, and it's so fun to see how God puts Scripture in the way that he does because it's a perfect segue into our passage today. Today, Jesus gets interrupted again at the end of Matthew chapter 12 here. So just as the scribes and the Pharisees interrupted Jesus, they demanded signs in verses 38 through 42, Jesus' family now interrupts and demands to speak to him. Have you ever noticed that Jesus gets interrupted a lot? Have you ever noticed that? A lot. Let me give you a couple examples. In Luke 12, Jesus is preaching and teaching, and uh, some guy just waits for Jesus to take a breath, and he's like, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my inheritance. In other words, give me my money. Another time in, in Luke 11, Jesus is preaching and teaching, and this woman yells out, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the, and the womb that nursed you. That's just weird. That one's just plain weird. Jesus got interrupted with the synagogue's lead, uh, when the synagogue leader's little girl was dying in Luke chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 9. And then he was interrupted again when the woman who suffered from a hemorrhage interrupted him. He's always getting interrupted. See, people either want to get Jesus off mission or they, they want him to solve their problems, their personal problems. And yet, this is the amazing thing. Through all the interruptions, Jesus stays on mission. His mission is twofold. He is to teach and preach the gospel. He is to die for sinners as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So today's interruption, it really reveals a problem that we all have at some level. Today we see that Jesus had human problems, relationship problems, so things are not well all in the family, right? There, there's a family feud back in Nazareth, and this strife has been brewing now probably for about a year or so. And as we go through this passage, I, I want us to think about our own families. I want us to think about the dysfunction in our own families. And I pray that this passage will bring some relief to the problems that you're having. Because if Jesus had problems, the, the perfect man, right? If Jesus had problems, you can guarantee we're going to have problems too. Well, what are these problems? 
What are these problems that Jesus has with his family? And how do they impact you today? Well, let's find out. Let's find out as we, we learn how Jesus is going to focus on his family. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. The verses are on the screen for you. We're going to start in, 40, in verse 46. Please read with me. While he was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Guys, these are the very words from God this morning for us. These are radical words for us this morning. This is a deep, heavy text. It's a life-changing text, and it, it comes with authority because they're God's words. These words are inerrant, they are inspired, and they will never fail us because we're handling the holy today. We'll let the digital demons do their thing. <laughs> We're going to be okay. Mm. Father, please. Please allow the technology not to disrupt our time of worship. We come here to revere you. We come here to honor you. You're the Alpha, you are the Omega. You're the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. We come here to revere you and honor you in every way possible and we pray that our worship is acceptable to you. And we pray, Father, that you would teach us this passage about your son, the Lord Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist writes, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and my sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. You guys have a seat. Thank you. All right, verse 46. While Jesus was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. So as, as Jesus is teaching on morality and religiosity from last week, Jesus' family shows up. There's no mention here of, uh, of Joseph, who is Jesus' earthly father. In fact, Joseph isn't mentioned in Scripture again. Um, the last time was in uh, Luke 2 when Jesus was around 12 years old. So anyway, the family shows up, he, and they cause an interruption. Why? Well, Matthew doesn't say. So let's, let's go flip over to Mark here. Mark gives us some details. Mark 3, he says, when, when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. 
<laughs> Jesus' own family is saying the same thing that the scribes and the Pharisees are saying. Wow. I mean, keep in mind, these religious men are making plans on how to kill Jesus. Now, his family's not there, but they're on the same page right now, aren't they? So Jesus' family, they heard some things. And these things are so disturbing that they, they walked from Nazareth to Capernaum, which took about 10 hours. That's kind of like walking from here to Prescott Valley. And they heard some things. What'd they hear? Well, even though they didn't have any form of social media back then, word traveled fast. What'd they hear? They heard everything that we've been studying for the past two months back in, in chapter 12. They heard that Jesus was disrupting all the deeply held Jewish beliefs. They heard that Jesus was playing Dr. House. Remember, you guys remember that TV show House? Yeah, he's playing Dr. House, right? He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. Uh, they heard that the scribes and the Pharisees called Jesus Beelzebul. And Jesus says, oh, really? I'm Beelzebul? Well, you guys are a brood of vipers. <laughs> so so, you, got, so you got some name-calling going on. So the family is hearing all of these things, and they, cho they chose to make a beeline from Nazareth to Capernaum um, because they do think. They think that Jesus lost his mind and is possessed by Beelzebul. I mean, what else are they to think here? Consider all the gossip. Consider all the things taken out of context. And by the way, nobody calls the scribes and the Pharisees names and gets away with it. That, that kind of name calling gets you killed in the first century. So his family thinks that Jesus has gone off the deep end. He has lost his marbles. He is mentally unstable. I mean, really, Jesus? How could any sane man claim to be greater than Jonah? You're telling people you're greater than Solomon? Jesus, come on. Come on, man. Unless, of course, unless he is the son of God. Unless it's true. Unless he is the Messiah. And as we read through Matthew here, I mean, isn't that what, what our gospel writer is telling us? He's been telling this all along. Jesus is king. He's king. He's the Messiah. He's the one. He's the one the prophets pointed to. This is the, this is the guy. But regardless, Jesus' own family doesn't believe it. Verse 47. Someone told him, look, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. So if you have the ESV, the English Standard Version, this verse, verse 47, is a footnote. And that's a mistake by the publishers. Here's why. Verse 46. Let's go back. Look at this. While he was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Okay. So Jesus is busy. He's teaching his disciples. There's also a crowd listening. So he's busy. Jesus is on mission. He, he's teaching his disciples. Jesus is doing what he came from heaven to do. But Jesus ignores the request in verse 46. Today, it would be like a, a Bible teacher or a preacher teaching his students and his phone rings. He's got it in his pocket. Is he going to answer the call as he's teaching and preaching? No, he's going to ignore it. 
Back to verse 46, his mother and his brothers were standing outside. They're standing outside wanting to speak to him. Verse 47, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. There's a point, there's a reason that Matthew says the same thing twice, back to back. Verse 47 is so important because it shows how incessant and how entitled his family is. Jesus' family is on the outside. Isn't that interesting? Jesus' family, of all people, right? They are a group of outsiders. There's a significant spatial and theological position with all of this. They are physically outside because they're not followers of Jesus. They are not disciples. In fact, they're hostile to his message. Even Mary, as faithful as Mary was 30 years ago, much like John the Baptist in prison, she's struggling to understand what Jesus is doing at this moment. So Jesus' family doesn't believe, which means because they don't believe, they do not understand what he's doing. We see the hostility between the family and Jesus and other passages of Scripture here. Let me show you a couple. John chapter 7, verse 2. The festival of the shelters. Your translation may say the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles. It's all the same festival. So the Jewish festival of shelters and Jesus' brothers said to him. Now just picture this. James. James says, hey, Jesus, you know what you ought to do? This is what you ought to do. You ought to leave here and go to Judea where all of your followers can see all of your miracles. Judas, his other brother, not Iscariot here, he says, yeah, yeah, Jesus, you can't become famous if you're hiding around like this. You got to leave. You got to leave old Galilee, right? You got to leave old Cottonwood. You got to go to the big city in Phoenix. That's what you ought to do. Simon, his other brother, says, you know, if you can do such wonderful things, Jesus, huh, you got to show yourself to the entire world. That's what you ought to do. Brothers will be brothers, won't they? Verse 5, for even his brothers didn't believe him. It's important to know, though, that that Jesus' family eventually came to believe, but it wasn't until after the resurrection So think about the tension that Jesus had with his family during the entirety of his ministry. This conflict that we just witnessed here probably lasted for maybe a year or two. But here's the good news. Shortly after Jesus ascended back into heaven where he came from, right? Acts chapter 1 verse 12, they all, so all of Jesus' disciples, not just the 12, they all returned to Jerusalem in verse 14, They all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So just pause for one second, guys. For those of you who have been praying for an unbelieving spouse, those of you who are praying for an unbelieving children or grandchildren, I hope you find this passage very comforting. Because it's not up to you to convert anyone. That is an impossible task. So please don't burden yourself with that weight and that responsibility. It is your job, though, to meet your family where they are. 
to love on them, to pray for them. And then once you do that, to step back and allow God to be God. Because when we don't get in God's way, look what happens. This is amazing. Not only did Jesus' brother James start to believe, he became a disciple of Jesus, yes, but man, he also became the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And not only that, he wrote the epistle that bears his name. So yes, we are to love our family, we are to pray for them, and then watch God work in their lives. Key point number one, give your family time. Give your family time. If you have a family member who doesn't believe right now, just give them time. Jesus is the Savior. Newsflash, you're not. Have you, ever, have you guys ever noticed that we make lousy saviors? Man, do we make lousy saviors. We will, we will mess that up. Things go south real fast when we start to press, when we start to use guilt, when we start to become Bible thumpers. Those means never work, do they? No, we just get in the way. I don't know about you guys, but around here, we don't, we don't use the Bible to beat people down. We use scripture to lift them up. That's what we do. It's what it's for. We use scripture to encourage and, and provide hope, love on people, not to press and not to beat down. Lastly, your family's faith, your, your family's salvation, it is on the Lord's time frame. And sometimes we go, yeah, but I've been praying for 20 and 30 years and this guy isn't moving one bit. Keep praying. Keep praying. The other interesting thing about this whole situation as we pray for our family and the hostility that's in the family, especially when it comes to Jesus and all that, the Lord is using that situation to test us as well. He's testing our patience. He's bringing things out of us in that situation. Verse 48. So Jesus finally replies here. He says, well, who is my mother and who are my brothers? So check this. Even after second, the second urgent request from his family, Jesus still ignores it. <laughs> Jewish families in the first century we're much closer than our American families today. So Jesus' response is surprising. It's not insulting to many, many people. But Jesus continues teaching. He is the master teacher here. He, this is amazing. He now uses his family's distraction as part of his lesson. Matthew 48, he says, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Now, I'm guessing his tone of voice, that's not as, as harsh as it may sound here. I mean, it is a whole lot better than Jesus telling Pete, get behind me, Satan. It's a whole lot better than that. But look, here's the deal. Both Jesus' family and Peter, they don't have their minds set on the things of God. They've got their minds set on the things of man. They're not seeking first the kingdom of God. Why is that? Well, they got a bad case of the normals. They're just like us. We're all control freaks, aren't we? We're all trying to control our lives and trying to control the people around us and everybody's telling everybody what to do. 
both the family, both Peter, on separate occasions, they were, and this is so funny, they were on rescue missions to save Jesus. I think that's pretty funny. It's filled with irony, isn't it? They want to save the Savior. Two things on this. Number one, uh, you may have heard in this passage that Jesus is disrespecting his family members. He is most certainly not doing that. He is the perfect man, and he honors his family. He honors his mother. Secondly, you may have uh, heard that Jesus renounces his family altogether. He's not doing that either. So what is he doing? Well, first and foremost, Jesus loved his family more than they loved him. No doubt about that. So what's going on in this passage? Well, the rabbis of Jesus' of day, the day there considered their students that they taught as family. So Jesus' question here doesn't come from disrespecting his earthly family. Rather, it's his emphasis on his spiritual mission. Jesus is on mission. He does mildly rebuke his family for overstepping, though. They're treading on some thin, thin ice here. Jesus was all about his father's business, starting back in Luke chapter 2. And believe it or not, Jesus will not give special treatment to his family. <clears throat> Key point number two for today. Human kinship does not take priority over spiritual kinship. Human kinship does not take priority over spiritual kinship. So Jesus is asking the question here, well, who is, who is my spiritual family? Verse 49, stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, here, here are my mother and my brothers, you guys. You're my spiritual family. So Jesus answers his own question here. Don't miss this. Jesus loves his disciples. He loves his family. Relationships do matter most to Jesus, even the one with Judas Iscariot. He loves his disciples. So Jesus honors his family perfectly, but don't miss his point here. Blood is thicker than water, yes, but there is something even thicker. And that's faith. That is the faith that unites us as a spiritual family under the lordship of Jesus Christ called the church. Jesus will not drift from his mission to please his biological family. And we see the importance of, of placing Jesus above everyone and everything else throughout the Gospels. He talks about this a lot. Let me give you a couple examples. Matthew chapter 8, verse 21. Lord, another of his disciples. So this is a fringe disciple here. He says, let me go, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said, no, nope. you follow me right now and you let the dead bury their own dead. Woo. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus says, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He quotes Micah 6, uh, 7, 6 there. He says, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me, it's not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. 
And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. Luke 14, he summarizes this same teaching from Jesus. He says this, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be his, he cannot be my disciple. So let's all take a deep breath. <gasps> Look, Jesus is not joking here. He's not kidding. This is not a parable. He's not. He's teaching a very unpopular reality that remains popular to this day. It's a tough pill to swallow what Jesus is teaching. Here's the pill. The pill is if you're a disciple of Jesus, the love of God, it must come first. Jesus shares his throne with nobody. Nobody. The love of your brothers and your sisters in Christ, that would be the church, that comes second. And the love of your non-believing family, that comes third. And we all look at that and we go, whoa. See, what Jesus is doing, he's, he's looking at our priorities and he's reordering them. It's amazing, isn't it? This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the world. This is the narrow road. This is the wide road. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of the world. Jesus is, is showing us a, a spiritual truth here that's really hard to grasp. Why does, why does he put things in that particular order? Well, because, because he died for the church. Jesus prioritized the church as his family, that biblical de definition of love, the biblical definition of love is all about commitment. It's commitment. And we spend time with those that we say that we love. There are two things that are eternally glorious. Number one, it's Jesus Christ. It's the Lord. And then secondly, it's his bride. It's his family. It's his disciples. He calls us his bride which is the church. Let me show you these. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. So that's the church. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and my sisters. The Apostle Paul, he, re he reiterates this sacred kinship of a spiritual family. Once again, not just spiritual things, but united under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. And then look at this. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. The priority is the church. Now, many of you have great families. Many of you have large families, but many of you guys don't. Like, like Amy and I, we, we don't have large families. We don't have good families. Our families are completely dysfunctional. <laughs> so neither one of us 
We don't have a godly family structure around us. So whether you like it or not, guess what? You're our family. I don't know. I, I pray that you guys consider your church as part of your family. I, pr I pray that those that you're sitting around are not just people to you that you go to church with, but you would, you would consider these people brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when we change our mindset from that of a congregation to brothers and sisters, to a family, things begin to change inside the culture of the church. There's a different spirit within the church because we learn to love one another more and, and prayerfully we, we offer more grace to people. Prayerfully we forgive and we forgive faster. Uh, prayerfully we keep our mouths shut when there's no reason to open them. Why? Because we love our brothers and we love our sisters. Now look, we are a family and we are far from perfect. Far from perfect. I got stories, let me tell you. But we are a family, warts and all, right? And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. Verse 50, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Note the whoever there. Jesus, he's not breaking family ties here. What he's doing, he's loosening them. He's widening them. Jesus is not dissolving the natural family. Instead, what he's doing, he's showing the power of the church, the power of the spiritual family. So guys, it doesn't matter what color you are or what gender you are. It doesn't matter how young or old. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't matter how much education you have or don't have. It doesn't even matter what church or, or denomination that you're a member of. Jesus doesn't even care if your father was the high priest or the grand poobah. He doesn't. We're all on the same page. Our resumes mean nothing to him when it comes to spiritual kinship. He says, whoever, no matter who. So look at Jesus' disciples. I mean, you talk about someone who practices what he preaches. I mean, Jesus called a tax collector and a Roman zealot. To be a part of his family, I mean, it's only by God's grace that Simon did not kill Matthew. <laughs> it's true. On the flip side, well, let me back up. So the good news here is that no one who believes in the gospel message is excluded from the kingdom of God. You're a part of Jesus' family. You are to believe the gospel. You are to believe. On the flip side of that, it also means that those who refuse to believe will not be included in Jesus' family. Back to verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Notice that the whoever must do something. We got to do something. We just can't sit around. The scripture makes it crystal clear that, that people don't have the capacity to choose God. We can't choose God. That's impossible. We don't choose God when it's convenient for us. There's, there's no such thing as the sinner's prayer in Scripture. Let me show you this. And this is just one of many, many passages. First Thess, chapter 1, verse 4. 
The Apostle Paul writes, for we know, brothers and sisters, look at that, we know that you guys are a part of the family, right? You are loved by God that he has chosen you. God has chosen you. He has called you. We don't choose God. We believe God. And once we believe God, we are to do something. What is it we're supposed to do? Look at verse 50. We are to do the will of my Father in heaven. So please know this. We, we don't become the brothers and sisters in Christ by our good works. We don't become uh, part of the family through obedience. Instead, what we do is we prove ourselves as faithful children, as brothers in Christ, by our obedience. Big difference there. Our obedience doesn't get us into heaven. Right? What it does is it demonstrates, I, I want to obey now. I love this book, and I love God, and I love his son, and now I can't help myself but to be obedient. Why? Because he saved me from myself. He saved me from his holy and righteous wrath. Oh, my word. Where do we find the Father's will? It's in Scripture, right? The Bible. Let me give you one passage on that. There's lots. Romans, Romans 12, 2. Let me just pause here for one minute. I can't help but notice over the past six to eight weeks, we continue to have more and more distractions here at River Bible Church. So this little digital demon is just one of many. All right? That means something. These are not coincidences. God is doing something with this little congregation on the hill. So that's my invitation for you to pray for your brothers and your sisters. All right? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and the pleasing. And look at that. The perfect will of God. If you're a part of the baptisms, uh, go ahead and excuse yourself and, and get ready. Let me ask you this question uh, before you guys, or um, as these guys exit, as I wrap up here. Did you guys choose your biological family? Do you wish you could? <laughs> what about your spiritual family? Do you pick your spiritual family? Do you pick the, your church, or does the Lord pick his church for you? Let me, let me answer this question, very specific verse in Scripture. Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth is just like River Bible Church. They're as screwed up as we are, all right? <laughs> And God, look at this, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Who does the arranging? God. 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 God does the arranging. Each one of the parts, the Greek word there is melos. Melos means member. 
He arranges the members in the body just as he wanted. So what's that mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's a beautiful picture of how vital you are to the church and how important the local church is to you. Now look, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is right before 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <laughs> you heard it here first. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. Who doesn't love the love chapter? The, the only problem with the love chapter is that it's usually taken out of context in wedding ceremonies because love is patient and love is kind. Well, wait a second. The context, 12 and 13, is about commitment. It's about membership. It's about spiritual kinship. So in other words, you didn't choose River Bible Church. River Bible Church chose you by God's choice. And if, if God has chosen his church for you, well, what's that mean? Uh, it means that by God's grace, he has given you spiritual gifts. And you are to use those spiritual gifts to build up his church, to build up our backyard known as the Verde Valley. So let me ask you, do you know your spiritual gifts? Have you been trained in your spiritual gifts? I mean, that's what the local church is for. The church is here to worship God primarily and then, to, and then to train you, to encourage you, to build you up so that you can use those gifts that God has given to you for him. The church is not here to serve the pastor's agenda or his little pet projects. Let me give you a couple example, examples. The primary objective of a church is not to be a food pantry. Rather, it is to feed you spiritually so that you can take that spiritual food and then you go and distribute both the physical food and the spiritual food. We have to know why we do what we're doing. The primary objective of a church is not to build homes. It is to teach you that your life is built on the rock that it's built on the firm foundation that there is a cornerstone and his name is Jesus Christ. And once you learn that, you can show people why you're going to mission trips and why you're building homes. The primary objective of a church is it's not a political tool to, to further someone's agenda. That's not what the church is for. The primary objective of a church is to worship God and we are to fulfill this thing called the Great Commission. The church is here to help you finish life well. And then secondly, notice here how, how and why Jesus focuses on his family. He calls us to repent of our sin by not making his family the priority. Cyprian, I love Cyp. Cyprian, a third century pastor in North Africa, church father, he said this. He said, no one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. See, we, we've all got a bad case of the normals when it comes to our, our priorities. It's normal for people to pack up and head across the country and take a job. It's mandatory to look at new homes where the, where the job is 
completely acceptable, of course, to check out the schools in the area. But what about the church? Oh, Dustin, come on, man. We'll do some church shopping once we get there. We got to get planted. You know, we got all these other things to do. Well, we'll that's, that's last on the list. Tragically, our jobs and our immediate families, they do take precedence over our spiritual families, which is the church. And we do need to ask for forgiveness, and I'm preaching to myself here. I'm preaching to myself. I mean, what would the world say if you were offered a, a job halfway across the country? And the first thing that you did is you started to pray for God to reveal the church. How would the world respond to that? Oh, you're just one of those religious nutbags. That's how the world re would respond to that. Well, how do you respond to that? Does that sound weird to you? How do you think Jesus would respond? Hmm. One last question here before we move into baptisms. What is preventing you from prioritizing? I think a better word here is immersing. What's preventing you from immersing yourself into following Jesus and truly committing to his spiritual family, which is called the church? It's a great question to take to the Lord this week. Ask him during your, your Bible study time, your, your devotional time. It's a very, very important question. I want to end, if you would, flip your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Let me show you something. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, in the kingdom, the endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me, and it was like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see, and you send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. And he was dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. His hair was white as wool, white as snow. And his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it's fired in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the full sun at full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he laid his right hand on me, and he said, Don't be afraid, for I am the first, and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever. 
and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Dear friends, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And this is what he looks like. And this is the, re and the reason he's coming back. Why? Why is he coming back? To gather his church family, his saints. And guys, I don't want you to be caught off guard because scripture says that can happen at any moment. Father in heaven, a weighty passage for us today, a critical passage for us to realize the priorities in our life. May we, some, may we do some business with you as we read this passage and, and think and pray and, and listen. Lord, we want to be worthy of you and we want to honor you and we want to make you smile and we want to fulfill what you've given us to do. We want to fulfill the great commission. We want to use the spiritual gifts that you've given to us for the building up of your church and for those in the Verde Valley. So Lord, we pray that you would show us how to do that today and do some business with you this week. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.